this week on Michaels and Alexander Explains. A year ago, during Victoria's second COVID lockdown, residents began using Northcote Public Golf Course in Melbourne's inner north for their leisure. At the time, golf was banned, and so fairways usually kept pristine for mulligans and birdie putts became the site for puppy walks and picnics. Now, there's an ongoing debate about how the land should be used. Darabin Council this week opened consultations to discuss the future use of the course. Shared use or less holes are some of the options being considered. It's an issue playing out elsewhere in Australia. In Sydney, Lord Mayor Clovermore launched a similar campaign to cut Moore Park Golf Course from 18 holes to nine. The Michaels and Alexander team has been watching this issue unfold, and today we're going to use it as a case study to explore public relations strategies, how opposing sides can compromise on hyperlocal issues, and what makes a successful grassroots campaign. Alongside me today is Associate Al Whittle and our communications specialist, Nasli Barmani. Team, welcome. So, Al, I'm not sure whether or not you are a golfer by trade or by upbringing, but Golf seems to get a bad rap. So my opening question to you is, why is it so easy to launch a public campaign against a golf course? Well, first of all, Jack, I might just uh, uh, talk to your point about trade or upbringing. I had a uh, unfortunate golfing upbringing, so I'm no longer a golfer by trade, um, but I do see the value in it and I see um, the importance of it. Um, and that's something that, you know, I look forward to kind of touching on later in this pod. But I guess speaking to golf's PR and why is it bad? So in my mind, there are kind of two levels of opposition to Northcote Golf Course and, and, and golf generally. Um, people at level one believe that golf is not cool um, and that it's more fun to rag on it than it is to play and that Northcote would make a nicer public park than a closed-off golf course. And, you know, you have to kind of respect that, but I don't uh, think that that's necessarily the full picture and we'll get to that later. People at level two just genuinely hate golf and they're staunchly anti-golf in the same way that others are staunchly anti-fascist or, you know, anti-something else. You know, they hold it as this very real, legitimate political stance and... Uh, you know, it is legitimate, right, because to them it signifies or has a basis in these big, big political issues like climate change in action, conservatism and elitism. And each of their concerns has truth too. Um, Golf greens generally use really immense quantities of water for maintenance. Um, Golf's conservative conservative ideals uh, are really prominent. Um, issues too. I'm sure we can all recall the months-long clamour that the golf world made when um, Tiger Woods split up with his wife. Like I I can just imagine that in more progressive circles that that, you know, wouldn't um, be a talking point for as long as it was. And then also on the uh, question of elitism, I guess when you're a young person or when you have, you know, strongly held political views um, or if you're a young person with no money but, you know, endless political energy or verve, it's very easy and it's also fashionable to look in at a golf course um, on the older or corporate golf players and whether it's true or not, call the whole membership of that course um, elite old men. So I think, you know, there's a few layers of um, dissatisfaction with golf generally um, that are kind of the umbrella uh, macro view 
um, that's affecting this particular hyperlocal issue um, about the North Golf Course. Yep. And Nasli, you are you know in your twenties. What's your initial impression of the elitism that is perceived in or as being a key part of the golfing world? Well, I'm in my 20s. I do live in Northcote as well, so I consider myself a community member and I don't come from a golfing background. And so my opinions on this have gone back and forth throughout my life. From one perspective, I definitely understand the gatekeeper's kind of argument where you kind of see golf as this completely unapproachable sport where people make decisions and movers, shakers get in um, that you can't get in on at the ground level, either as a woman or just as someone who didn't grow up in that environment. But I think that when you kind of start to break it down and when I started looking to it, it does kind of crumble a little bit and it becomes more about like a personal choice. I've never tried to get into golf. um, And I think that it gets a bit of a bad rap as an old rich man sport. Um, when you look at public golf courses, like the one in Northcote, an average round of golf costs about $25, um, which is something that's really accessible for a lot of people. Um, it's a really good form of recreation, uh, especially for the older players, not to stereotype. Um, and if you look at the golf history in Australia, a lot of our best golfers have actually started out not as wealthy people, but rather as just young people on a public golf course playing with borrowed clubs. And so I think it does really fall fall down a little bit when you start to examine it a bit closer. Yeah, and obviously golf has made a lot of moves in the last decade or so to try and change its image. But Al, in terms of a key message, what should they be trying to communicate to the general public to change that, you know, perception of golf as an elitist sport? And I, I think probably being linked to people like Donald Trump has not done a huge amount of good for the overall picture. <laughs> Thanks for asking that, Jack, because I think it's a really interesting one um, where as younger people um, we have this tendency to lump in um, older people, you know, who have had lifetimes to experience the world, to uh, have jobs, um, to grow and grow wealth as well, and that we confound, you know, the wealth that older people might have um, with the essence of being an older person. And... Uh, I don't think that that's a fair one to make, particularly in the context of golf, where it is one of the only accessible sports um, or forms of recreation for um, people who might have limited mobility, such as older people. So I think something that golf can do um, to change that image is to, you know, at the same time as bringing in younger players um, and, and holding them up and encouraging them to grow. Also amplify the message that golf can be accessible to everyone and that older people deserve sport and they deserve recreation and training and competition just as much as any other group. But I think on the other hand, you know, we do have to recognise that traditional golf um, and the traditional golf course is inherently restrictive and that, you know, as Nasli said, um, you know, Northgate has a, has a pretty low fee for, um, for entry um, and that modern golf courses are not like that traditional golf course anymore. And for the ones that are, they should be open to and take on new ideas. And so, Nasli, is a community issue, the Northgate debate, it's pretty unique in terms of the fact that it's 
community versus community rather than the community uniting its developers, which is something that we've seen in other similar debates across Australia. When we were talking about it's easy to argue against um, the council taking away half a golf course for development. Um, so trying to in Sydney and Queensland where they were trying to take 18 whole golf courses and turn them into eight, eight holes. But when you have a community fighting against the community, you're really arguing, you're pitting people against each other when their interests are actually aligned. And it just becomes kind of about who's the real community here, when in reality, I think to Al's point, everyone deserves recreation um, and everyone deserves green space. So it's about finding that balance. And I think that golf, the golf Northcote Golf Club needs to find a balance between pushing back for their interests, but also not making them anti-community. Which is alluded very nicely into our next kind of discussion point. So obviously in this campaign, there's two very opposing sides. So there's the entirely pro-golf, this golf course should not be changed at all side of the coin. And then there's the, we should shut the whole golf course down and turn it into a public park side of the coin. So when you have two groups who are at sort of that level of opposition, how do we get to some sort of middle ground where we come to a solution that benefits the entire community? I guess I'll, I'll take a couple of steps back and, and hark back a little bit to, to our previous point um, around the you know bad PR. I think that this is a really funny campaign because both sides, you know, the golfers and the golf course, and then the other side being the anti-golf campaigners and, and the Greens councillor, um, who raised this as an issue. Both of these groups are divisive because they have markedly bad PR problems, if, you know, for this issue, which is hyper-local, um, but at the same time harks back to these bigger political problems that both sides are infamous for. Reaching a compromise can only happen if both of these groups throw out their, you know, worries about elitism or perception of elitism or conservatism or um, only for, you know, old, rich, white men, essentially, um, throw out these very general worries and consider instead what the golf course issue means for this community only, you know, at this very community, hyper-local level. What is the issue here? But also, you know, I think there's a need for both of these um, sides to recognise that COVID-19 was a genuine advent of um, real change for communities and we should be reconsidering what we do with public land. So what you've kind of alluded to there a little bit, Al, is that there's actually a commonality between the two groups who both want to obviously ensure that they have a community that has public land and public parks for different uses available. Um, so is the kind of argument and the war over a golf course actually not the real issue that we should be looking at. We actually should be talking together as two community groups and actually working out how do we plan our local council areas better so that there's more green space overall for everyone at all times as there's that kind of inner, inner city sprawl effect. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a need for green space green space in urban spaces, um, especially those that are rapidly expanding upwards because we have no more room to go outwards. Better planning and innovative contributions and partnerships with developers in particular are something that if these two groups came together, they could actually explore for the better of both of them. Um, the need for community sports and recreation and the need for green space actually speak to the same need for community well-being. Um, and so I feel like 
they're both two sides of the same coin. And when you set those two sides against each other, you actually set people up for poor outcomes. Um, and I don't think that's what anybody wants here. I love that, Nesley. And particularly you know, in the context of Darabin, which is you know, renowned for its abundance of concrete and asphalt and, you know, being <laughs> a bit of a concrete jungle. And so there's a bit of work underway about how these two groups can actually work together for the benefit of one another and some research that's begun. Um, so do you want to kind of open that can of worms a little bit for us, guys? Oh, do you mind if I jump in? Because I, I've, I've been... Um, looking at this really interesting study, um, this interesting research that's underway at the Coringal, um Golf Club in Port Phillip um, with the University of Melbourne, um, where the club is trialling this shared use approach um, of the golf course as, you know, both for golfing but also as a productive community garden. You know, the study really started around the research question of, um, you know, if the local community supports the golf course by enabling that use of the space, of this enormous green space, how can the golf course support the local community in return? And I think that that is the approach that we should be taking with the Northcote Golf Club. Asking a question or starting at a question like that, which is respectful and acknowledges both of the sides, is a really important one to ask um, and answer uh, in the Northcote context. Yeah. So, Nasli, as our local woman on the ground, I might ask you to just, you're a counsellor. I want you to put your political hat on for a minute. What would you be emphasising to your constituents, to local residents as these consultations get underway? I think I would be advocating that compromise is good as long as it doesn't end up as a zero sum for both parties. So what we want to do is have a golf course that can function as a golf course and the people who truly use it for recreation and socialising can still be able to use it functionally in that way. But it does give back to the community in a meaningful way. Um, that community members are happy with and they feel supported by the institution that they're supporting, essentially. And I think it also works in a bit of a circular direction where if the golf course can compromise on certain things, it actually goes to that PR problem that golf has in general about it being exclusive. You know, maybe you do have, you know, one day a week where the golf course is open to the public um, for walks or things like that, or like what they're trialling, um, where you said out, where you kind of make part of it like a community garden. The exact compromise is really dependent on the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that they'll really undertake some extensive research into what's going to work for everyone. You've both drawn out some really nice nuggets around grassroots campaigning, the stakeholder engagement challenges that this one presents. So let's tie that all back together. And you guys obviously in your jobs here at Microsoft Alexander do a lot of work around what makes an effective campaign, how you effectively engage with stakeholders. So in this kind of instance, what's the starting point to make sure your grassroots campaign cuts through? Before we get to um, any kind of engagement with stakeholders, Um, every single party that's a part of this conversation needs to understand that at the end of the day, it's about a golf course. You know, it's about a parcel of land. There is genuinely no value um, in using hateful language or vandalism um, to sway the decision-making process either way. Because, you know, as we've been talking about, both of these groups have bad PR problems already. 
Um, you don't need to heighten them or make them worse by, you know, engaging in, in you know, vulgar language or picking on people or, um, you know, harming people, whether it's verbally or physically or, or vandalizing property. You know, it just doesn't need to be done. I totally agree, Al. And I think that a really good practical starting point um, is just do an accurate audit of what the community needs actually are. So in this case, we're talking about green space, so an assessment of the green space in this area um, versus, you know, the accessibility of another course, for example, like in the area. And I know that it's actually the only course in the northern suburbs. So I, I definitely think that's a point that we should consider um, as well as proximity to other green space, quality of other green space, um, all those issues, all those facts should be on the table before we start to talk about what it is that my personal opinion is. And I think that that's where the council really should should be starting. And I, I'm, I hope they are. And just to kind of add on to that point, a lot of the work by VicGov around golf course localities in Melbourne shows there's a high centralisation in the southeast as opposed to the north. So there's, a, there's an oversupply of golf courses overall, but an undersupply in the north and the west. And I think if you were near Northcote, your next closest would be Royal Park, which is a reasonable hop, skip and a jump. So there's just not an abundance of options, which doesn't necessarily mean that it still can't be a shared piece of land, but eliminating a golf course altogether there would create really big issues for sport and engagement, which I think is really important because that local context, I think, is always going to flow through issues like this. And if you kind of understand some of the underlying constraints um, and challenges. Golf in particular is tricky because there's obviously certain environments that are more conducive to building a golf course, which clearly exist south of the Yarra, not north of it. And just to that point, if we can go back to the elitism issue, the answer to elitism isn't to eliminate the golf course. It's to encourage people to actually engage in the sport, to break down those barriers. Creating more barriers actually widens that rift and makes golf more elitist, not less elitist. So I don't know, I feel like there's a bit of a, it's a backwards argument there for me, for people who are anti-golf course because they think it's an elite institution where by all measures, this is actually quite an inclusive course. And so maybe the key lesson there, Al, is to start with a problem rather than having a solution that's leading your thinking. We need to set boundaries and limitations um, early as well. Um, so, that, you know, even though we're starting at the question and, and then, you know, doing our research before we answer it rather than, you know, starting with the answer and working backwards, like you said, Jack. But, um, you know, we also need to have some research limitations. What can actually be done? What's realistic? Both of the parties need to be honest with, the, with each other and the council needs to be honest with themselves as well. What's realistic in terms of, you know, what's going to keep people happy? But I guess also <laughs> a really obvious one is what's realistic in terms of the council's budget. Obviously, the public golf course is sustainable because otherwise it wouldn't be there anymore. And is any other alternative going to be sustainable? You know, if it is going to be sustainable, how do you keep it that way? Um, I think these are all, you know, kind of limitations that need to be um, put around uh, the research and the audit that Nasli suggested before we reach that solution. Just to come back to finding a solution for your community as opposed to one that seems like it's a one-size-fits-all solution, you know? What's going to fit for one community isn't going to fit for another and we can't be judgmental about the needs of one community versus another. Just to, by way of example, there was the community campaign against Woolworths being developed um, in Mosman Park in one of the wealthiest suburbs in Sydney. 
And, you know, there was quite a bit in the media about how it was ridiculous and um, <laughs> it was super elitist and why don't they want a Woolworths? But you know what? We really can't judge that community by that measure. That was something that they need and they lost that case, but they got a couple of concessions from Woolworths. So they got a bit of a compromise where everyone kind of got something. And I think the outcome from what I can see is actually better. So I'm all about communities arguing for their needs. I just want communities to really focus on what it is that their community actually needs. That is a great note to end end on today. So thanks for that, Nasli. Uh, thanks for joining me, both of you. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure and I look forward to having you on here again. And obviously, thanks to everyone that's tuned in today. We will be dropping a couple more episodes before the end of the year, one of them wrapping up the year that was in communications and crisis communications, which should be a bit of a doozy. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the show on all your favourite podcasting platforms so you get any episodes that come out. And we will look forward to seeing you again before the end of the year.